Welcome to Illuminating You, the podcast where we dive deep into your powerful stories. Here at Illuminating You, our guests authentically share their stories of struggle, resilience, and hope. I'm your host, Danny Frank, and together we'll embark on this journey of speaking the unspoken. Welcome, Illuminating You listeners. I am so excited to introduce today's guest, Teresa Carnegie. Teresa lives in Vancouver, Canada, and she is an author and self-publishing coach. She has written several of her own books, such as Solo Female Travel, All the Romance, and one that looked so good that I had to purchase it titled Mental Wellness Journal, which has three months worth of pages to help you on your own mental wellness journey. Teresa loves helping her clients create their own books that they previously only thought of as a dream. She offers different packages to help her clients create and self-publish their own work. You can find Teresa at dapsil.com, which means a little bit of everything. That's D-A-P-S-I-L-E dot com. The first time I met Teresa, I was amazed at how she can find the beauty and the simplicity of life. I think she has a gift that many people nowadays overlook, and I'm very excited for our guests to get to know her today. Today, Teresa is going to be sharing a piece of her life with us, and we are going to hear how she conquered an 18-month period of intense trauma. Without further ado, Teresa, welcome to the show. Hi, Danny. Thank you for having me today. I'm really excited. Yes, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited for you to share with our guest today. Tressa, can we start off years ago, back at your childhood? What was your life like growing up? My life was pretty good. My parents split when I was, I think, six, but, you know, so raised by my mom. Uh, so it was my brother and I and my mom. Uh, you know, I was the oldest. So, of course, you know, you have to help out a little bit more when you're, so you got a single parent. But, I happen to have one of those moms who didn't believe in boy things and girl things. So we got to experience both mm-hmm. of everything and mm-hmm. we weren't limited. And, you know, it was, we, we weren't, we didn't have a lot of money. So she did things that were free. And at that time where we lived, the museums were free. So my brother and I have like this amazing love of culture um, mm-hmm. simply because we were poor and mom was looking for things to keep her kids yes. occupied with. So, you know, everywhere I go, I've got to go to museums and art galleries and, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. It's not something you think of, something like that can do for a child who grows up to be an adult, but super grateful. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Teresa, when I met you the first time, you talked a lot about working, being a big part of your identity from an early age. Can you share with our guests a little bit about what that looked like for you? Uh, When I was, I think, eight, I had two paper routes. And I lived in a place that was minus 40 degrees Celsius and snow could be up to your waist kind of place. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was like crazy. Um, And then when I was 10, I had a regular babysitting job of once or twice a week. And, you know, I kept doing babysitting jobs until I think I was, I think I was 16 and I got my very first job in a restaurant. And Mm -hmm. I think I had to go to summer school that year because I worked so much uh, that I stopped going to school Mm -hmm. as often as I should have been. And Mm -hmm. um, my boss, even at the time said, next year, you're not working this much. You concentrate more on school. Unfortunately, she left uh, that job. So I didn't have anybody holding me accountable anymore. And (laughs) just kept working. Yeah, Yeah. You know, just it continued into life, you know, or, you know, throughout my lifetime, whereas, you know, once I got into my late teens, early 20s, I was be working two jobs, maybe three. I think at one point in my 20s, I was working two full-time jobs for a couple months. Not sustainable. That did not last long because mm. yes. you can't do it. But it was definitely 
something I always thought I had to do, have more than one job, work really hard, always work as much as you can, that kind of thing. How did working so much impact you in high school? I didn't go to school. <laughs> um, I, I shouldn't say that. I went to school. I did not go as often as I should have or mm. what was required. So I did not graduate high school the first time. I uh, ended up taking grade 12, I think three times in total because <laughs> uh, I just needed credits. So I kept going back to complete credits. And I think the third time was, I think it was in my early 20s and I was driving home from the bar and I saw my school and I was like, huh, I should really get my grade 12. And wow. uh, so I went back. I just needed two credits. And at that time, they were offering two credits uh, a semester. So two classes for two and a half hours each day, one semester, two credits. And I was like, done, one semester, I'm going back. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I did, I graduated then, but was a little bit uh, older than the average grade 12 student. <laughs> yeah. What did your life look like in high school? Like a lot of working, not going to school? There was a lot of working. There was a lot of me not being able to wake up because I was working um, and tired. There was a lot of me getting to school and I just didn't have, it took me years to figure it out, but I wasn't challenged with school mm -hmm. and I didn't, I felt it was, you know, boring and uneventful and, uh, you know, kind of thing. Cause if you're mm -hmm. not challenged that mixed with the, um, not getting enough sleep, you know, I didn't really have, I didn't want to go and I had nothing, no push to go to class. So mm -hmm. it'd be like, somebody would come up to me and be like, Hey, want to go for breakfast? I'm like, yeah, let's go. Or, you know, want to go for a drive? Yeah, let's go. Want to go for lunch? I did everything and anything other than go to school. I had a really bad attendance rate. What did life look like in your twenties? There was work in the bar. I was in a town. Well, it's a city. It's a small city. You know, it was about a hundred thousand people. And, you know, there wasn't, when you're in your late teens, early twenties, there doesn't seem to be a lot to do in the evenings. So you work and then you get off work and then you go home or you and you get ready and you go to the bar or I was working in the restaurant. So there'd be shift work. So some days I'd get off work at, you know, 11, 12 at night. And it's like, well, you're not ready to go to sleep, you know, so you just change clothes and you go down the street to the bar and, you know, go dancing. And there, I, I, I did drink, but I didn't drink every day and I didn't drink a lot. And so it was just more of something to do, hang out with friends, mm -hmm. meet people, uh, you know, go dancing, you know, that kind of thing. It was something to do. No, no, I think that's a lot of fun socializing. I think that was the bigger thing for you, socializing, interacting, connecting with people. Yeah. Tressa, you did something really, really cool in your late 20s. Can you share about that? So I always wanted to travel. I always wanted to go to Europe. It was this thing I did a report on when I was a kid, even traveling through Europe was always the dream. And I had made plans previously and people kept canceling. And one day I was in my apartment, which I did not like this apartment. And you're already thinking, ugh, you know, life kind of sucks kind of thing working my two jobs. Uh, and I got a birthday card from a friend. Uh, we've been friends since we were six years old, you know, another city. And she was in living in London. And she was wishing me happy birthday from London. And I was wow. like, wait, what? I could move to London? This is wow. a thing? <laughs> I didn't even know this was possible. So the next day I went to that job and I got on the phone and I phoned the British consulate and found out what I needed to do to move to London. And within three months, I had quit my job, put all my stuff in storage and 
moved to London. No job, mm-hmm. no accommodation, no other than that one friend. I didn't. My grandmother was from uh, the UK, but other than um, a great grandfather and a great aunt and uncle, I had never met anybody else, and I had only met them like once or twice. So I didn't know anybody, and it was definitely the scariest thing I've ever done. And oh, mm-hmm. I have a fear of flying. Ah! Wow, so, so very scary. That was it was very scary. And I remember getting off the plane and getting onto the um, the underground, like the subway, and getting at my stop and getting up to the ground up ground level and got on the street and just stood there and I just looked and I was like, Oh my gosh, everything is different. Buildings were different, streets, uh, you know, the streets looked different, the lights were different, the cars were different, everything was different. It was incredibly intimidating, but it was exhilarating too because of its difference and because it was different and new. So it's exciting, right? And kind of exhilarates you and makes you, you know, look forward to doing like what's going to happen in my life. Ooh, opportunities are endless kind of thing. Yeah. What was an average day like when you were living in London? Well, I li- I was there for three weeks living in a hostel with no job, uh, looking for a job and actually found a job and the very next day ran out of money. So mm, good timing. Didn't even know I was that close to being out of money. And I worked as an au pair. So I lived with the family and I just mm-hmm. part-time helped out with the child. So my day was all my time was free until I think it was three o'clock or four o'clock until something like seven or eight. And that was my day of work. So I spent a lot of time just walking to different places, catching the bus, subway, whatever, um, underground, like anything to go see sites. I did a mm-hmm. lot of sightseeing. I did a lot of checking out the library and studying history. I even used British television uh, to learn some history. And mm-hmm. I really it got boring after a while. And she did end up hiring me in her um, home business, home-based business uh, for part-time work. So that was a nice, uh, just some admin work, which helped. But, you know, I had gone from a couple jobs to just doing one and it was very, that was odd, but it was exciting because I got that time to see the sites. And then I got so much time off. I was allowed, you know, I had all my weekends free and I was allowed to take time off. So my weekends were, oh, I'm just going to, go to Paris for the weekend or (laughs) exactly such a once in a lifetime opportunity to move to another country and you make it so simple you're like sell your car put everything (laughs) in storage and buy a airplane ticket and I mean I guess I guess it really is that easy I guess we complicate things a lot our minds complicated our fears complicated yeah you know we overthink it but it literally comes down to those are the actions you have to take but, you know, it is getting through your own fears. What's stopping you? You know, mm-hmm. everybody's got their reasons for what's stopping them, whether they, they think of futuristic 10 years in advance, this is going to hurt me as my, and my job or, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. You, you can't always see. I, I always feel that opportunities come. And if you take them, you, your life will end up where you want it to go. It just might get you there in a different way. Mm. And you, or you could also do it in a much better way than you ever had planned, right? Mm. Like, but that's also, I, I mean, I say stuff like this and it's, oh, you know, just do this. But there's a lot of people who I, I understand it's not as easy for them to just mm-hmm. do something like that. Absolutely. Tressa, what was your life like when you moved back to Canada from London? It was a bit of a culture shock. 
(laughs) I had gone from living in one of the older cities in the world to coming back to Canada, which is quite fresh and new. And, uh, you know, I was surrounded by people who were from other countries. I was surrounded by people who were traveling the world, you know, working in London, going and doing what I was doing on weekends and, you know, holidays, go traveling someplace and see things. So there was conversations were very different. It was a lot of, oh my gosh, I saw this. Oh my gosh, you've got to go check this out. This was my experience here. And I came back to Canada and people had got married. They had kids. They'd been at their job now for how many years? Their lifestyle was very different and they were more of traveling for vacations as opposed to, you know, they were vacationers as opposed to travelers. Mm-hmm. And so when I would try and talk about my experiences, you know, because yeah, as you do, you try and share your life with people, they felt I was bragging. I got a lot mm-hmm. of, you're just bragging. So, you know, I started feeling quite judged in that way and that I had to keep things to myself. But then I also, you know, I got a lot of, uh, you need to get, you've avoided life. And you need to settle down and you need to buy a home. I ended up buying an apartment that I never planned on because mm-hmm. I was feeling like that was my next step, you know, kind yeah. of. Thing. And it was a good move in the end, but it, it probably, it was the longest I've ever lived in one place. I was there for 12 years, exactly. Oh, that's a long time. Yeah. Longest I've ever lived in one place in my entire life from birth on. So it was, um, it was different for me, but I definitely felt like people who were still here didn't understand the lifestyle of traveling and doing different things outside of, you know, maybe a box that they thought life was supposed to be like. And so they kept trying to shove me in that box and pressure me to follow along. And I did fall into that. Yeah. Instead of following your intuition, that like gut (laughs) feeling of knowing what you're supposed to do. Teresa, can you begin to share with our listeners what this 18 month period in your life looked like? Like what was the first thing to happen? My dad died. We knew it was coming. He had cancer and he'd been fighting it for years. Um, You know, he probably went past what everybody thought he would. He just kept pushing. And, um, but it was still, it was hard, you know, cause that's your dad. And, uh, so that was the first thing that happened. And it was almost exactly a week later. I think it was like a week and a day later that I was driving down the road going, you know, I was heading out to go shopping and sitting at a red light and a 90 year old person who did not have very good reflexes, uh, drove into me without hitting the brakes. Then they rebounded and it came back and hit me a second time. And then their car stuck. It's enough to start with, but uh, when you're in the middle of grieving and you're not in the right headspace to also deal with being in a car accident and having injuries. and, Mm. And I got probably the worst concussion I've ever had from that accident. So I ended up being off work in total for four months with it. I really struggled to get back after that concussion. Even after I went back to work, I couldn't go back full time. It took me a few years actually to get over a lot of those symptoms that I had after that concussion. It was just a lot. When you were really struggling with that concussion, like at the very beginning, what did a day look like for you? Uh, Sitting in my uh, apartment in the dark, in the quiet. Mm. So one of the things, if you've never had a concussion, one of the things that happens is your brain gets fatigued super easy. 
because it's injured and your brain literally does everything. It runs your body, even breathing. Your body breathes because of your brain. So uh, you get fatigued easily. It's why people with concussion go to sleep a lot. And you're supposed to sleep because, you know, that's how you can let your brain rest and, and heal. I would do things like go walk down the hall to get in the elevator, to go downstairs to my mail um, on the first floor. And I would start falling asleep in the hallway because it was just a lot for me. There were some, some days are better than other days. And uh, I had to learn to get lots of rest so that the days I had to go for an appointment, I could do it, functionally do it and get myself there and be in the appointment. I started Mm -hmm. purging my apartment. I started with a drawer in the bathroom, started purging it. And it took me several days because making decisions also hurts your brain. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, it wasn't a simple, oh, I don't need this. It was just, I just trying to decide if I was going to need it was wearing out in my brain. There was lots of naps. There was lots of, you know, I didn't put any pressure on myself. I was going nowhere. By the end of that four months, I had my entire apartment purged and Mm -hmm. kitchen cupboards, everything was purged. I built up my stamina slower than they expected and slower than any of us wanted, but it was the right way. It was better than doing nothing and just hoping one day I'll get better. By doing it in small ways, it allowed me to get back to work within four months. No, I wasn't healed. I wasn't better, but at least it got me to that point. How did being off of work for four months impact you? It was really hard. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever done because I was working 40 plus hours a week and I was taking two night classes before that accident. So I went from being perpetually uh, busy (laughs) and working to now sitting in a quiet room all by myself, dark, quiet room all by myself. It was, I was no longer surrounded by a lot of people. I was no longer go, go, go. And one of the hardest things I'd say is when you are a go, 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 keep working, working, working person to do nothing is incredibly hard. The mindset is so different. It was one of the things I had to do was I can't get better unless I let myself rest. So I need to let myself rest. And it was hard. What was it like with your boss and your coworkers when you got back to the office? It was interesting. There was a few that were really understanding. My boss was understanding that I still have appointments, treatments, that kind of thing. And I was still struggling. I wasn't 100%. But unfortunately, he paid me hourly. I lost my salary. Um, I went to hourly at that point, but I was the only hourly person. So he tended to forget to pay me. And um, I would ask him, I'm like, "Uh, am I going to get paid? And this was after my mortgage had bounced and I was being, you know, and then I had NSF charges and, you know, that kind of thing. So it ended up putting a lot of additional financial strain on me because of it, which that's extra stress that you don't need when you're already dealing with extra stress. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, coworkers, there was, you know, some instances of things like buzzing somebody else and telling them to tell me the phone was for me instead of just, you know, me. Um, there were instances of being sworn at, screamed at, you know, that kind of thing because I couldn't do what I used to do because I was having to miss work. Uh, it was almost like they thought, I must be getting paid for doing nothing kind of idea. I don't know what they thought. 
quite honestly, yeah. we never, it never came out, but it was incredibly hard dealing with all of that on top of everything else. And I think when you share just how you went to go get your mail and you would fall asleep or when you're purging the bathroom, it would take you several days to purge a drawer. Like that yeah. really shows how intense this concussion was. Teresa, what happened next? I, you know, came home from work one day and I, again, I still wasn't at eight hours, but worked as long as I could. And, you know, I, I can't even remember what else I had that day, but there was definitely commuting. And I came home and I opened up the fridge and a 500 milliliter bottle of water, just one of those small bottle of waters fell out of the fridge and I was not on it. I kind of watched it going, what's happening? Kind of, you know, cause your brain, my brain hurts so bad. I couldn't really think. And then I didn't move myself out of the way, didn't really think about it. And the bottle landed on my foot and broke my foot. A month before that, I think it was, I had been walking and I twisted my ankle in like three locations, you know, I don't even know how I did it. Don't even know what I did. It's just one day I woke up and couldn't move my foot or my yeah. leg. And then, you know, like, so just little things like that just kept happening until finally it was about, uh, I think it was 11 months after the first accident and I got into another car accident. And then I think it was one, two, three months after that, I got into a third accident yeah. and none of them were my fault, but it left me with anxiety and panic attacks. And I didn't even know what panic attacks were. Even when I was having them, I didn't know what they were because I had never experienced them before. And I was very fortunate because I was at a doctor's appointment and I had one. And my doctor came in and was like, oh, wow, you're having a panic attack. And I was like, huh, okay, yeah, that's, well, that's good to know. Now we can, now we can figure out what to work, deal with, how to deal with this, right? I didn't recognize it at the time. It took me quite a while to realize it. But I guess because the car accidents weren't my fault and I was getting all that behavior in the workplace and like I said, all the different things that just kept happening to me, my subconscious started believing everybody was trying to kill me. It doesn't seem like a lot, like you're like, oh, that's not hardcore trauma. Like you weren't attacked or, you know, anything like that, but it's not what happens to you. It's how your brain reacts, which yeah. is you know, what it trauma is. Right. And my brain thought everybody was trying to kill me. Hence the, uh, I would get panic attacks for years. I had panic attacks. I would be in any office, doctor's office, lawyer's office. It didn't matter the office. I was in an office. I would have a panic attack. Wow. And you know, when you have a panic attack, I don't know what other people, but it took me days to get my nervous system calmed down from that. Like it was, mm -hmm. I kept feeling like my innards were vibrating um, for days and my mind was unfocused and foggy after. And, yeah. you know, like I was, it was just, it was really hard. It was a, the three car accidents in 14 months. And then mm -hmm. I um, lost a friend. Uh, so someone else to cancer. And then I got scabies. I didn't even know that was a thing until I had them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Trying on clothes in the store. <laughs> um, what was that like? That was horrific. I say that because <laughs> I was kind of at my, when I got that, it was about 16, 17 months from start to, to from the, my father passing away to the scabies. And so it was almost like every month something had been happening. And yeah. it was only two weeks after my friend passed away. And I just remember sitting, I was in a, a training at work and I was sitting there and I was like, really itchy. And I was like, oh my gosh, my legs are itchy. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, yeah, I was, I think it started in the shower that morning, but I didn't really think of it. You know, it's like, oh yeah, it's just because I have really hot showers. So I was like, oh, it's hot. It's, you know, you know, that's why. I'm <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had these, I saw these bumps on my legs and I didn't really think anything of it. I just thought, oh, you know, one or two. And then the next morning, uh, in the shower, a ton of bumps came out on my legs. And I was like, what is happening? What is this? What bit me? And uh, it just was incredibly itchy. I had no idea what was going on. It was that itchy. Yeah. So I, I went to the doctor and and the doctor stepped away from me. She's like, you have scabies. And I was like, why are you stepping away from me? <laughs> She's like, it's incredibly contagious. And I was mm -hmm. like, what are scabies? Like. Yeah, I, I didn't even know that was a thing. She gave me some cream and, uh, you know, use hot water to clean your clothes. And I am a person who goes a little far-fetched to ensure. So I slept on an air mattress because they sit in fabric and they can live seven days off your body, just living um, in, this is so gross, but living on flakes of skin. And so mm -hmm. that sits in fibers, right? So yeah. I didn't use my anything. I, I sat in a wooden chair to watch TV. I put an air mattress on the floor in my living room and I washed my sheets and my pajamas and my towels and the one outfit every day, or maybe two. Um, I washed them every single day in hot water, threw them in the dryer and did that for like two weeks and mm. uh, used the cream twice um, that I got prescribed. And they were probably gone after the first time, but um, like I said, I wanted to ensure they were completely gone and never had, and I didn't have to deal with them again. I feel like this was just, this period of time was like a game of whack-a-mole. Like really your dad dies, you start to heal from that, and then a car accident, you start to heal from that, and then the water bottle falls on your foot, and you start to heal from that, and then scabies and. I mean, just thinking about like how this compilation of thing on top of thing on top of thing like impacts a person's mental health. Well, yeah. And, and after that first accident with that concussion, I had so I was always so lightheaded and dizzy. I kept falling. So like I had hurt both pinkies. I had hurt. So I was in getting x-rays for those. And like, so like every month there was something that kept happening. And it is it's because you're perpetually dealing with things. So they might be small. But you're perpetually dealing with things when you're already not in a place that you're able to. Yeah. And so these things, one at a time, totally not a problem. Have I hurt myself before? Many, 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 many times. Yeah. You know, have I lost people before? Yes, I have. Individually, they weren't life or death, right? They weren't going to break you. But mm -hmm. the fact that they just kept happening and there was mm -hmm. constantly something coming up to yeah. deal with and... It was just, it was hitting me physically, mentally, emotionally, like it was hitting everything. Something happened at work and I was just like, you know what? I can't take this anymore. I'm done. And I had been there 13 and a half years and I was, I had a two week vacation scheduled and I was supposed to leave on a Wednesday and the Friday before that I walked into my boss's office and I was like, and this is my two weeks notice. I'm done. And he was yeah. like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. Nope. Not dealing with this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and it was less scary than a lot of other things I did but it was still scary because I had a mortgage to pay I had a car payment to pay and I had no job lined up I had no there was no what am I going to do it was more of I'm broken and I can't take this anymore yeah. <laughs> it was one of those things where I had just been dealing with 18 months of constant stuff trying to get back to the life I used to have 
and I couldn't. There was, you know, like all these things kept happening. And I, I was like, I, I can't keep doing this. Like, I honestly have to change things so that mm-hmm. I can get better so that this doesn't keep happening kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I came back from vacation and I think it was like a couple of days or a week after I came back from vacation, I had an email from my naturopath saying, I'm not well. I'm going to have to cancel our appointment tomorrow. I'll let you know when I'm better and uh, we'll reschedule. And two weeks later, he had passed away from cancer. And then about two months after that, I had seen my doctor about two or three weeks previously and I needed to go again and made it, went to phone to make an appointment. And the number had been discontinued because she closed her practice suddenly because she got cancer. Mm. And, you know, I was, I wouldn't say that was like a turning point. It just, it was, I kept going down, 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 you know, getting in bed became a problem. Getting out of the house became a problem. Like it was just, I was spiraling and I felt like I was in this perpetual, I, I felt like I was spiraling down and that life just kept throwing things at me to keep pushing me to go down. Yeah. It's really how it felt. And I don't know if it was a turning point so much as an opportunity that popped up that I jumped at. So I was I was on the phone with my mom. I was still unemployed. While we were talking, an email came up and the email was for a flight sale to Australia. And I was like, wow, that's a really low price. Like, it turns mm-hmm. out it was in US dollars instead of Canada because I was like, I couldn't even fly to the other side of Canada for this price. Like, it was yeah. so good. But there was a reason it was the wrong, you know, <laughs> wrong dollar. But um, it still, it wasn't much more uh, at the time for it. And within, I don't know, half hour, hour, I had booked a three-month trip from that email. Wow. I just did it. I was like, you know what? I have no job. I have nothing keeping me here right now. This is a time where I can take three months and just go. And I knew people from when I lived in England, uh, in London, I knew people from Australia and New Zealand. So I was like, oh, I can go visit some people. You know, that'll be fun. I haven't seen them forever. And just, I felt like I needed something to change up my life enough that it would stop that downward spiral of things happening. So, you know, it was scary. I didn't know how I was going to pay for that trip because I did not have uh, an income, but I I did it. And within days I got uh, pre-approved for a line of credit, which ended up mm. went and traveling, uh, traveled on, which yeah. I didn't recommend. Don't go into debt to do things, but <laughs> for me, it worked out and uh, I went on that trip and it did exactly what I needed it to do. It pulled me out of the downward spiral. I visited with, uh, I can't even remember how many people, but I, I ended up spending out of that three months, I think there was two weeks in total that I spent by myself. The rest of the time I was visiting people. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there was even a friend that lives there now who um, I knew from the city I grew up in. You know, we used to work together when we were teenagers and, you know, she lives there. So it was really fun. I got to see all these people that I hadn't seen in a long time. They were excited to see me. They wanted to see me. And they didn't judge me for not being back to myself. Like they didn't judge me for where I used to be and how I couldn't Mm -hmm. do what I used to do or, you know, any of that. They just were like, hey, it's nice to visit with you. Yay. You know, kind of thing. Connection and the non-judgment and just being in a completely different place really helped. I used that three months. My mindset just changed. I didn't fully come out of victim mentality, but I came a lot out of victim mentality to the point where I felt like I could make progress in life after that, right? I could, Mm -hmm. there were, life was possible. I could do things. But also with all of that, I had started writing. And Mm -hmm. when I was off, 
uh, not working. I just started writing. And it's not something I had done really before a couple times, but didn't really think anything of it. And in my mind, it was a way I could share information. And so I would write about different things I tried and, you know, I got subscription boxes and wrote about it. And, yes. um, and I used it as a way to get out of the house. I, you know, went and tried a bakery and tried the treats and then wrote about it and, and, you know, different things like that. And it, so it helped me get out of the house so that when that opportunity came up, I was ready to jump at it to get on a plane to Australia. I don't know if I would have if I didn't have those little baby steps getting me into that place kind of thing. Like I was ready to, I really wanted to make that change. So then when I was gone, I wrote about different things I saw, different things I did. So again, it got me out doing more. It helped me, you know, see more sights. It helped me days where I was tired. I was like, okay, you know what? Let yourself sleep another couple hours and then you can go out for a short period. You know, you don't have to go out for a long period. So knowing that I wanted to try things and see things and do things for myself, but also, oh, I can write about it. That that helped. It was a little bit of accountability for me yeah. that really helped push me. Teresa, what does your life look like today? 100% different. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> yes. I do not push myself. I now have some pretty darn good boundaries in place. I would say 90% of my decisions are made based on my health. Is this something that's going to exhaust me? Is this something that's possible? Am I going to hurt? Is this, you know, different things like that. I haven't written recently, but I write and I do the self-publishing coaching and I'm in like an online business group. So I attend different events, you know, networking or working together. And I also have a part-time job that it took me many years to get to the point where I could work somewhere else. So this one is, is good. It, it allows me to work remotely from home and it's sporadic part-time. So the hours are whenever, but it's good because it allows me to, A, uh, worked through the fear of being in an office. You know, I didn't get panic attacks anymore. And I don't think everybody's trying to kill me if I go to an office. And yeah. like, I'm now responsible to other people, which is also part of the healing. Like I couldn't just, I wanted to just not be responsible to other people, but I recognized I was really pushing against them doing that. And mm -hmm. to me, that told me that was part of my healing that needed to be done. If I was pushing against it, I didn't want to do it. That meant it's time. I need to do it. So mm -hmm. then, you know, get that part-time job. And it did, it helped me and it showed me that I'm still capable you know, because I think I was in that frame of mind where, oh, I can't do this. I can only do this. And I can never go back and do that again. And so this has helped me see that, yeah, I can. There are adjustments that would have to be made. I'm a different person, you know, now in that respect, I'm part of a team. And that's a whole other level of trust and relying on people and you having to be there for other people that you don't have when you're just working yourself yeah. so it's it's I enjoy it because it um, because it's sporadic and part-time it still allows me like I said my health comes first so I still do things like I love going and walking on the pier um, down mm. by the water there's this um, it's in white rock and it's like the longest pier in Canada and it's just such a nice walk and so I love doing that so this gives me time to you know make that still a priority so I still like once or twice a week, have these things that I can go do. I have the time to keep them in my schedule. 
and, you know, or I can go to a coffee shop and sit and be surrounded by people and conversations and, and maybe get ideas for writing or create something while I'm there. Cause I, I get a little bit of, there's different things that we all get creative from different things. And I get creative being surrounded by people some days, some days it's too much. I can't do it. Some days walking along the pier helps bring in, you know, spark my creativity. Some days watching a DIY program and home renovation program uh, <laughs> sparks my creativity. What words of wisdom do you have for someone who is in a similar situation as you, someone who is facing immense amounts of trauma within a short period of time? It's hard. And I'm 100% there with you. I know, I understand. But what I feel helped me and what I tell everybody, please try it, is try something new. Because you're going to be spending all your time and concentration trying to be who you were, trying to do what you were. And you're going to feel like you're going to judge yourself for not matching up to that. So by doing something new, you're showing yourself you're still capable of learning. It's exciting. Maybe it's something like for me, I didn't even know I wanted to write and then I started writing. So it could be something that you always wanted to try. Maybe researching something. I don't know. You know, it could be something you've never thought you had the time for or you never thought you could do. Give it a go. Give it a try. You know, you've got a little bit of time, but you're, like I said, you're not going to judge yourself. If it takes you a month to learn something you normally would have taken you a day, you don't care. It's new. It's different. You don't have that preconceived idea of what you're supposed to do. And it gives you excitement. The learning something new, it's exciting. By doing it, you're you're feeding your soul a little bit. You're making your insides happy. You know, your mm-hmm. your heart sings because you're you're giving it something it's always wanted to do, maybe. So the first time we talked, you mentioned getting a new piece of fruit from the grocery store, a dragon fruit or star fruit. And that idea has just been stuck in my head, just thinking about, you know, how cool it would be to try a new food that I've seen many times in my life, but I've just never branched out and and tried that. I really appreciate you sharing with us today how you found healing within a really, really tough period of time. So thank you for spending some time with us today. And I really hope that your story inspires someone else facing trauma. Again, check out Teresa's website, Dapsil, that's D-A-P-S-I-L-E.com, where you can learn more about her published work and coaching business. Thank you so much, Teresa, for sharing your story. And thank you, Illuminating You, for tuning in today. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Illuminating You by the Society of Authentic Living. We hope today's episode inspired you to remain resilient through your own struggles. If you have a story to share and would like to be a guest on our podcast, please fill out an interest form on societyofauthenticliving.com. That's all for now. And until next time, keep being resilient.